0: And to all the veterans of our nation. Well, we are going to take a break this morning from our study in the Old Testament. Uh, And because of the Veterans Day weekend, I wanted to talk a little bit about doing your duty. Doing your duty. You know, that's really what a veteran is. A veteran is a person who at one point in their life, they gave a portion of their life to our nation. And they served uh, in our armed services. They did their duty. And all of us have a duty to do. And I want to talk for just a little bit this morning about what your duty is as a Christian citizen. First of all, absolutely, our duty, if we are a Christian, our first duty, our highest duty, is to our Lord. And neither allegiance to country, or allegiance to family, or allegiance to any other uh, earthly allegiance should go beyond or trump that allegiance that we have to our God. He is our utmost allegiance. But what does the Bible teach us if we are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, how does that relate to our duty? What is our duty to our country? And so the first thing that I wanted to share, and I mentioned that we were going to, we were going to hesitate or pause our study in the Old Testament. Well, we are, but we are going to quote and begin actually in the Old Testament and in Psalm 122, verse number six, the psalmist is writing about his nation. And I believe that your first duty and my first duty as a Christian citizen is to love our country. It is not against the laws of Christianity, it is not contrary to your Christian faith to have a genuine patriotism, a genuine love. For your country. I believe you should have a respect for your country. I, you know, I, I think we should honor our nation, honor the symbols of our nation, our pledge of allegiance, our flag, all of the things that represent our nation. Uh, it is a Christian duty to have a love for your nation. If you think about it, the way nations started, and I, I know I have a tendency to, you know, dig back in history and get off on a tangent, and I'll try not to do that but you know the origin of nations really nations are are really extended families you know we we kind of started out as tribes and tribes were nothing more than a bunch of kin folks that got together and decided you know we're going to try to protect ourselves from those bad guys out there and from whatever might endanger us and and a nation really began as people who were a family so when you talk about a nation uh, we love our family and we should love our nation we are people that have We have bound ourselves together and said we are going to protect one another. We're going to look out for one another. We're going to make an oath and an obligation to be united together as a community of people. And so it is okay to love your country. And as a biblical example, Psalm 122, the psalmist says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love you. Peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. There the psalmist is speaking of His love for His city, His country, Jerusalem and Israel. And you know, over in Psalm 137, we don't know who wrote Psalm 137, but you know, in our study through the Old Testament, we've talked a lot about the Babylonian captivity, how uh, the Babylonians had came uh, and had captured the people of Israel and and sent them off into captivity. and, And for hundreds of years, they lived in a foreign nation. And the psalmist is writing about that. He says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. One thing you can say about the author of those two Psalms, both Psalm 122 and Psalm 137, is that those people loved their country. They loved Jerusalem. They had a longing for Jerusalem. And then... If you look there in Isaiah 62, Isaiah said, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof is a lamp that burneth. You know, every parent knows that you love your children, and you pray for your children. And if your children are going through a difficult time, you're going through a difficult time. You fast, you pray, you you have an earnest desire to see that child get on the right path. Well, Isaiah is talking about his nation as a wayward child. And he's saying, I will not rest. I am going to pray for Jerusalem. I will not rest until righteousness goes forth as brightness, until the salvation thereof is a lamp that burns out. You know, we as Christians, we have a duty to love, to love our nation, and to love our nation so much that we lift up that nation in prayer, which, which is our second duty to our nation, not only to love our nation, but to pray for our nation, to have an earnest desire to see our nation be a place of righteousness and justice and goodness. That is our call as believers. And then talking about the Babylonian captivity, remember Babylon was captured or conquered, I should say, by the Persians. And the Jews that were in Babylon no longer were they uh, captive in Babylon. They were now captive by the Persians as the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And uh, the book of Nehemiah is written from around 446 B.C. And the prophet Nehemiah, hundreds of years after his people were carried off into captivity, he's still thinking about Jerusalem. And, he, and he, he wants to know what's happening back in his homeland. And it begins in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Then Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction, And reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah loved his country. Isaiah loved his country. The author of the Psalms loved their country, and that love bore fruit in prayer. You know, there are many things about our nation I wish I could change. But I cannot change those things. I do not have the power to change those things. But what I do have the power to do is to intercede on behalf of my nation before God. I can pray for my nation. Just as you may not be able to change someone's life that you love or someone that you care about that are that's doing things you wish they didn't do, but you can pray for them. You know, prayer is powerful. You know, prayer is powerful on a personal level. I think we all have had the experience of going through a difficult time and someone telling us, I'm praying for you. And you know that that's not just a platitude, or that's just not, not a nicety that someone said. You know they're really praying for you. You know that they're really spending time before the Lord lifting you up in prayer. And that is an encouragement, and not only is that, but it is powerful. So we are to pray, and also in the New Testament, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I exhort that all that first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And we all know, no doubt, that passage from Second Chronicles 7.14 Where the Bible says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. So we're talking about our duty as a Christian. Our duty as a Christian citizen. We are to have a love for our nation. Don't ever be embarrassed to love your country. To express your love for your country. Don't ever be embarrassed to show respect To your country. You don't have to agree with everything your country does to show respect. My goodness. If that was the case, I'd burn the flag down right now. You know, I don't agree with a lot that the country does, but I love my country. You know, you've heard the saying, don't throw the the baby out with the bathwater. You know, a lot of folks, uh, America does something or has done something in the past that wasn't right. And and, uh, they just want to, you know, burn the whole place down. Well, that doesn't do any good to anyone. If you love your country, try to make it a better place. Make it a better place and and contribute and help. But don't ever lose respect for your nation. Don't ever be embarrassed to be respectful and to love your nation. And if you love your nation, pray for your nation. Pray for your country. Pray that God would help it to be and continue to be a light on the hill. By the way, you know, I've been to Ukraine a few times uh, in years past. It's been a few, few years ago. By the way, I never served on a board or anything like that. I just want to clear that up. But anyway... Sorry, I couldn't, really, couldn't resist. But anyway, I've been to Ukraine a few times, and I've got a few friends over there. And uh, many of you know Brother Wally. This has been to our church, and uh, he has two sons. And the first time I traveled to Ukraine back in 2000 and, uh, 2004, uh, his boys were just young, young kids. I mean, they were pre-teenage, and uh, now they're grown, and uh, one of them's married. Uh, but I, I corresponded with one the other day. He, he emailed me, had a question, and uh, and, and he uh, he emailed me a, a letter that he had written, and I, I, I may share that letter. Uh, but but he was talking about his nation, and, and he was talking about uh, how that uh, he didn't understand how socialism was creeping in over here, and it had almost destroyed his nation. And and he just had a lot to say about the love that he had for his country, and the love and the appreciation. He mentioned about America. He said, you know, America has always been like a city on a hill. He must have read one of Reagan's speeches, I think, perhaps. But he said, America's always been like a city on a hill and a bright light that shines. And how that, as growing up in the Ukraine, that he'd always looked to America as like a wonderful place. You know, and, and you know, it's kind of like hearing someone on the radio and then you finally get to meet them. And you're like, you know, they're not quite as tall as I thought they were. You know, they don't look exactly. And you know, I think maybe he was coming to grips with the fact that this place that he would always thought was this wonderful, wonderful place, and you know, just this great bastion of Christianity and all that is right with the world, that it's not exactly, it's got a few warts, you know, and it's got some gray hairs, and it's not exactly all that it should be, uh, but he was thankful for what it had been and continued to be. So love our country and pray for our country, and then something else that, that we should do and that is that we should obey our country be obedient be good citizens you know some folks think that well if I'm a Christian I just do what I want to do and, and I don't have to do just, I just do what you know kind of like the 70's song me and Jesus got our own thing going we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about you know but listen if you're a Christian the Bible commands you to be an obedient citizen To follow the laws of your country. You know, when Jesus was walking the earth, um, they thought they would get him because Rome was running the world at that time. And and Israel, of course, was under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And you remember what happened over in Matthew uh, chapter 22. They thought, well, uh, we'll ask him, is it okay to pay taxes? And, you know, all the Jewish zealots and those that wanted Israel to be independent, they didn't think you should have to pay taxes to that pagan Roman government, all those pagans in Rome. We're not going to send them our money. You know, we don't believe we ought to have to pay that, but they make us. You know, we only do it because we have to. Remember, that's why Zacchaeus was so uh, disrespected. He was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector uh, and was very disrespected by that. And you know what Jesus said when they asked Him, should they pay tribute to Caesar or taxes to Caesar? And in Matthew chapter 22 and and verse number 19, Jesus says, show me the tribute money. And they brought Him a penny. And He said unto them, whose is this image and superscription? And they said, Caesar's. Then said He to them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left Him and went their way. You see, it's the United States Treasury that prints our money and it's got the images that represent the United States on your quarter and on your dime and on your dollar bill. All those images there, they represent the nation that prints them. And so we operate in this nation and we are to pay our taxes. We are to do uh, the things that we should do in, in regard to the government's rules. Over in Romans chapter 13, Paul says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do what is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God to avenge and execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, we must be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience' sake. For this cause, pay tribute, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their duties... Tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know the only thing worse than a bad government? Audience participation. Somebody shouted out. What is the only thing worse than a bad government? No government. There you go. No government. The only thing worse than bad government is no government. With no government... You've got real trouble. You talk about the Second Amendment. With no government, you better get you an arsenal at your home. Uh, You're going to need it because it's going to be every man for himself. There's no police force to call. I mean, there's nobody to call. I mean, somebody cheats you. There's nobody to call and say, hey, they just cheated me. I mean, it would be people be killing one another. I mean, it would be terrible. There'd be no money. So... The Bible is very clear that as believers, you may disagree with your government, you, you may even have a bad government, but it is your duty to obey the government as long, and there is a caveat there, as long as the government's laws and the government's instructions do not contradict God's moral law. Now, there's a principle that we're going to get to. As a matter of fact, it's one of our next principles in, in our duty. When the government's rules contradict God's rules, then we know who comes first. We have to disobey the government's rules and obey the Lord. But many rules, they may be an aggravation to us. that They may be a hindrance to us. But if they are not in contradiction to God's law, we are to obey the laws of government. If you're a Christian, whether, you're, whether you live in Iraq, in Russia, in China in America, in Mexico, whatever country you live in, you should be the best citizen that country has. That country should know that, listen, here is a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who's going to pay their taxes. They're going to be moral. They're going to be honest. They're going to be obedient to the law. However, there is an exception, and that is our next duty to our government, is not only to pray and to... Obey our government and to love our government, love our nation, but we are to be our nation's conscience. If need be, we are to preach to our nation, to disobey our nation if necessary. Over in Exodus chapter 2, several examples. Remember, the Pharaoh uh, wanted all of the Israelite baby boys to be drowned. Because he was afraid that was population control. That, uh, he, he was a, by, by the way, he was a member of Planned Parenthood. I don't know if you know that or not, but Pharaoh. He was a part of Planned Parenthood there uh, in that Exodus chapter 2. But he said, listen, the, the, the Jews are getting too populated. There's getting to be too many of them. And if we're not careful, they're going to outnumber us. And they're going to take over. Uh, and uh, we can't have that, so uh, we're going we're gonna to population control, we're going to drown all the baby boys. And he told the midwives, if there was a baby boy born, to drown it. And the Bible says that the midwives feared the Lord, and they disobeyed the word of Pharaoh. And you know, I don't know, here, here, here's a little theological question for some of you Bible scholars, you can help me, but they actually told a lie. Because they said, you know uh, we tried to do what you said, but those Hebrew women, they're pretty li- women, they're pretty lively. I mean you know Egyptian woman women, it takes them a long time to give birth. the Hebrew women by the time we got there everything was done and my goodness, we, we, we just weren't able to do it. you know It was just they were just too fast on the draw. And so they disobeyed Pharaoh's command. And then in Daniel chapter 6, which we went through just a couple of weeks ago, when King Darius said that no one was to pray, Daniel disobeyed the king's command. Not because he disrespected the king. He was one of the king's best servants. The king loved Daniel. And the king, it, 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 he, didn't, he didn't realize that Daniel was going to get in trouble and he was so upset that Daniel was going to be thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel disobeyed King Darius's order. Over in uh, Revelation chapter 2, you read about the Christians in Asia Minor were being persecuted uh, for their faith. And if you go back and you study history, you know that they would make every citizen throw incense in the fire and say, Caesar is Lord, meaning that Caesar is a god. And, and devout Christians refused to do that. And because of that, they were persecuted. But they were blessed by God for their disobedience. And of course, in Acts five twenty nine, Peter when told to stop preaching about Jesus, he said we must obey God rather than men. So as believers, as believers, we are to be men and women of conscience. We're to stand for something. You know, we're not called to simply go about and, and be good citizens and just whatever everybody wants to do, that's okay. That's why it's so important to follow Scripture. You know, if you don't have a a standard for moral authority, then it's just every man for himself, whatever you think, whatever I think. But as Christians, our standard is Scripture. And we look to Scripture to give us a moral authority. So as Christians, we should be, yes, obedient citizens, and yes, citizens that love our country and pray for our country, but also sometimes we should be citizens who can be a pain, a pain to our country because we tell them the truth. You know, maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your daddy, maybe it was an uncle, an aunt, maybe a brother or sister. But you know, there's that person that if you're up to no good, you don't want to be around them. Because you know they're going to call you on it. And they're going to say, hey, you don't need to be doing that. Hey, what are you doing? You don't like being around that person. That person... Acts as your conscience in a way. And you know, as Christians, we should be that person. We should be those people to our nation. When our nation is going wrong, to cry aloud and to lift up our voice and to show the people their transgression, as Isaiah said in Isaiah uh, 58, verse 1. Now, the last thing that, that I'll share with you that we should do before I share one thing we should not do, and that is, as Christians, I firmly believe that not only are we to pray and to love our government and, and certainly to obey our government and to, and to preach, if necessary, to our government, tell our government, our country, when it's doing wrong, but I believe as Christians that we are called to protis- participate in our nation. I don't think that it, it is unchristian uh, to vote or to run for office or to be involved in the political process. You know, Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rules, the people groan. In 1 Samuel 8.18, the Bible says, You shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now, you know... Our Constitution says that we have, and our Declaration of Independence says, that we have a government of, for, and by the people. Lincoln said that in his Gettysburg Address. So we have the power in our nation to vote. We have the power in our nation to choose our rulers. So I actually, I know some people would say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't get involved in that nasty political business. I I don't vote. You know, I don't get involved in that. Well, you know, if you're a Christian you're a devout, true Christian, you try to live a moral, godly life, make your decisions based on morality and godliness, and you choose not to be involved in politics, guess who's choosing your leaders? Other folks. Other folks. So, I think not only is it okay to vote, but I would tell you, I believe that it is your obligation to vote. But let me tell you why. Because God holds us accountable only for what we have the power to do something about, Right? And it is within your power in the United States of America to choose your leaders or to help choose your leaders. So if you stay back and you say, I'm just washing my hands of the whole affair. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in any of that. I'm not voting. I'm not participating in any way. You're abdicating your responsibility. Wicked people are elected and, and things are going haywire in the nation. Well, if, if, you, didn't, if you didn't help or you didn't vote... You bear some responsibility for that. Now, obviously, if you voted uh, for something, knowing what was going to happen, you bear responsibility for that too. We all bear responsibility before God for what we have in our power to do. And as a citizen of the United States, I have the power to vote. I have the power to go out and to cast my vote and to participate. So I believe God wants you to exercise that in a wise manner. Again, you're just one person. You don't get to choose the leaders, but you get to help choose leader, So, you don't have the authority to change the laws of the nation, but you have the authority to help elect somebody who can change the laws of the nation. You don't have the authority to tell a judge how to rule, but you have the authority to elect a person who can appoint the judge, who hopefully will rule in a manner that is consistent with (coughs) godly principles. So, as a Christian, I would encourage you to participate and don't get disappointed you know, I, I mean, don't say, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good. Well, it may not in terms of your nation in general, but it does some good to you. Remember, that's all you're responsible for. You know, when I stand before the Lord, Gary's not going to be up there. You know, uh, Tyler's not going to be up there. It's going to be me. I'm not going to give an account for Tyler. I'm going to give an account for me, for what I did. You know, for how I voted, how I participated in the things that I was able to do as a Christian. And again, back in ancient Rome, they couldn't vote. They had no say-so. But you can. You are blessed to live in a nation where our founders said that we're going to give everybody an opportunity to have a little bit of a say-so. So I would just say take advantage of that. Use that little bit of good, that little bit of power that you have... Educate yourself and then vote your conscience. You don't have to vote for who I tell you to vote for. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to tell you to vote for anybody from the pulpit. Come see me later. I'll talk to you. We'll work it out. But uh, but you don't have to vote for, for who I tell you to vote for. Find out yourself. Remember, you're going to give an account to God for how you vote, for, for how I vote, for how you vote. So, so it's important that you educate yourself and you try to do the best you know how and vote the best way that you can uh, for godly principles. Well, the last thing I want to share with you is some things that we must not do as I've talked about all the things you should do as a Christian citizen. Love your country? Absolutely. Pray for your country? Absolutely. Certainly, uh, be obedient to the laws of your nation when they don't contradict the laws of God? Absolutely. Preach to your country. Let your country know when it's doing something wrong. You know, speak for righteousness and for justice. Absolutely. But here's some things that as Christians, we must be very careful. If we're doing all of these things, we must be very careful not to do. We must not depend on our government or on our nation to make people good people. Or maybe I should say it this way. We must not look to government. Instead of God for the salvation of society. Remember that all the government can do is keep me from killing my neighbor. Well, it actually can't even do that. But it can say, if you do kill your neighbor, you're going to be in big trouble. But what the government can't do is make me love my neighbor. Only God can do that. And see, as Christians, if we are participating in government, let us not fall into the trap that think, well, we're going to elect people like us. We're going to elect people that think like I do. We're going to elect people that, you know, quote, have godly principles. And boy, then we're just going to have a wonderful country. No, the government cannot save souls. The government cannot make you love your neighbor. It can just keep get you in trouble if you kill your neighbor. Try to keep make laws against killing your neighbor. And so the government cannot change hearts. And we must not make the government into a god and somehow think that our nation or our government is going to fix all of our problems. No, only God can change the heart. The government can make it a better place to live, give us a, a an environment in which we can live and work. But government can't make you love one another. It can't make you love God. It can't make you a good person. We must not depend upon government to change the hearts of people. Don't substitute the government for God. And also we must remember that if we want revival, if we truly want revival to come to our nation and to our churches and to us as individuals, We must recognize and understand that we don't have to have a law passed for it to happen. It doesn't have to go through Washington. It doesn't have to go through Atlanta. You know, when God did a great work uh, in ancient Israel, He didn't check with Caesar first. He didn't get the Roman Senate to approve it. God did what He chose to do without the approval of earthly powers. And yes, although we should be obedient to those powers as long as they have moral laws and we should participate and pray and all these things that I just mentioned, again, be very careful that we do not make government our Savior in any way. In any way, we're thankful for government. We we love government. We appreciate it. But government is not our Savior. Only God is our Savior. And while we love our government and we love our nation, we must never let love for nation and love for our country or our government take the place of our allegiance and our love to our God. We do have a higher call as believers, and that call is to our Lord. Well, I hope you love America. I do. I'm thankful that I live in America, but I also recognize that because I do live in America that is blessed so bountifully, both financially and politically, and in so many ways, I have a great responsibility, and you have a great responsibility. Again, I think about the letter that. Uh, uh, Sasha is his name, Vassilovich from over in Ukraine, wrote me this week. And just how he, just his admiration for our nation and all the things that, uh, so many things he talked about in that letter that that I couldn't all share with you today. But, But just, I think, boy, what a privilege I have that I live in this nation. You know, and his father went through Soviet times and, and how they were persecuted uh, during Soviet times. Just the difficulty of, of living a Christian life in that part of the world. And yet, I've never experienced that persecution. My, my ancestors have never experienced that persecution. Here in this land, we've always been free to worship. Might disagree about how to worship, but we've always been free to worship and to serve the Lord. And we're so thankful for that. And what a privilege and what a responsibility I have. So when you leave here today... Be thankful to our veterans, absolutely, as we celebrate and honor Veterans Day tomorrow. But as you leave here today, think about your duty. Your duty as a Christian citizen. You have a duty. That duty, love your country. That duty, pray earnestly for your country. That duty, participate as much as possible in the workings of your country to help make it a better place. When necessary, preach to your country. Tell your country what it's doing wrong. Let your country be aware that it is making a mistake. And also remember that although our country may be a wonderful place, it can never take the place of God. Our country cannot make us love one another. Our laws cannot turn us, take a black heart and turn it into a pure heart. Our country can't do that. Only God can do that. Only the gospel can do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word that you have given us. I thank you for your grace and your goodness. And God, we thank you for the privilege that we have of living in this wonderful nation, a nation that you have blessed so abundantly. We would say perhaps more than any other nation in the history of the earth, you have abundantly blessed us. But God, we also remember that your blessings are not without responsibility. And you say to whom much is given, much is required. And I pray that you will help us as American Christians. That Lord, we would recognize all that is required of us. And that we would be good stewards of what you have given us. We know that we make mistakes. And God, we know our country makes mistakes. But help us God, although we may falter and fall, to always get up and keep moving in the right direction. Maybe we trip and maybe we stumble, but let us, not, let us not stay down. Let us keep moving in the right direction. Let us help our country move in the right direction. Help us to love our nation, to be good citizens of our nation. Send a great revival to our nation. Let it begin here with me, with us. Draw us closer to you. Let us be ever closer than we've ever been before. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe you want to come pray or you want to make a public decision for the Lord, you just obey the Lord as we stand and sing.